This is only a test is supported by City Cards with Android Pay. Listening on your phone? Now you can pay while you listen using the same device. Just tap and go. Download the Android Pay app on Google Play or visit city.com slash Android Pay to get started. Android Pay is available for eligible City consumer credit and debit cards. Hey, let's start the show. For Thursday, August 5th, 2016, August 4th, 2016, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested. Dot. What episode number is this? I believe this is episode 361, for Holy those cow. of you keeping count. And of course, that tally does include uh, many of our uh, October cast split up into separate episodes. It includes all the C episodes we, us- we used to do. Oh, that's cheating if you split up the October cast. That's like 24 <laughs> episodes in one. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Does it include that? You know, at this point... I, I think actually it's every four episodes of Octobercast was released as one podcast. It's how YouTube split it out when we did the live streaming back then. Uh, but it is 361. Right That's on, a man. lot. True That's that. A lot Almost a full year's worth of podcasts if you watched one a day. That's right. Or listen to one a day. Some of them we don't have video. Oh, that's they right. They all have audio. Some don't have video. I wonder what it would be like if someone listened to one of our podcasts every single day for a full year, starting from the beginning. That would drive that. I think that could drive someone insane. There's a, yeah, a I don't real en- chance. I don't endorse this from a science and health perspective. But they could do it for charity. <laughs> I don't know who or would write give a, or money write, for Or that. write a blog. <laughs> write a blog. Anyway, I'm Norm. I'm your host this week. And joined by my two co-hosts, of course, Jeremy Williams. Greetings. And Kishore Hari. Hello. The past two weeks, we have had duo cast where only two of us have been present at the office. But today, we are fortunate enough to have all three of us and two co-hosts. <laughs> it lightens a load on everyone. It's a good Make- to, we had to be in here a little early yeah, um, due to scheduling. So this is a new new experience podcasting at 8 a.m. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be great. We have a lot of caffeine on the table. There's caffeine. There's quite a lot of caffeine. <laughs> I, there's bagels. I stuffed you guys full of food. There were bagels provided. Water, caffeine. It's going to be great. Anyone ready for a pop culture segment? I think I'm ready for a pop culture segment. I love that. I love that. It's really good. It's great. I I have to say, I was so jealous that I wasn't here last week so I could add in my thoughts about Comic-Con because it it was my second Comic-Con experience, my first one in nearly a decade. It was like eight years since I'd been to my Mm -hmm. last one. And it's pretty different than it was that those many years ago. So do you want to hear my... Comic-Con I recap do in six, hear, 60 seconds? Yes. No, you can spend a little more than 60 seconds. No one's going to time I'm gonna, you. Well, I'm going to time myself. 
Wonder Woman, wow, yeah. great. Justice League, pretty good. Uh, meeting Paul Dini, who is uh, who I talked about a few weeks ago, writer on Batman the Animated Series, the Arkham games. Um, it, meeting him, talking about his new graphic novel, incredible, probably the highlight of my Comic-Con experience. Well, Paul Dini's the artist. No, no, he's the writer. Wait, what? Descent Among the Comic Nerds, everyone. Yeah, Jeff Loeb is the writer. For for the animated series? No. no. Dini wrote those. Okay. I'm thinking Tim Sale. My yeah. apologies. My apologies. I mixed up. It's that early? Wow. I was thinking Tim Sale. Just drink your coffee. Paul Dini, you're right, is the writer of Giniverse. Yes. Tim Sale, I was thinking it was Jeff Loeb. Mm-hmm. You got it. Now I'm, going, I'm taking more than 60 seconds. There you but go. meeting him, talking about his graphic novel, about you know, self-esteem, self-worth, all of that stuff was incredible. Um, uh, got to Simone and I got to meet Neil deGrasse Tyson, which was awesome. Just like it was nerd heaven. Um, but beyond that, my favorite moments, uh, were in artist alley talking to various artists, walking the floor mouse guard, which we talked about since, uh, Gary is, uh, adapting that movie. Uh, Peterson was just at his like little artist alley booth. Oh, yeah. Um, just hanging out, talking to people, which is awesome. Uh, so I had a lot of highlights like that. You know, after you told me that on Saturday, you go like spent some time chatting with Dave Peterson. I stopped by his table on Sunday, and we had a nice chat also. And he was so nice to give me a book. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Mouse Guard's great for those who haven't read it before. It's a very different type of graphic novel. Uh, so I had, I had an amazing Comic-Con and a lot of other stuff that, you know, I was lucky long, uh, enough to um, run into the tested team uh, doing. Uh, and then I had a couple lowlights. You had low light. Yeah, and, uh, I went. I went to see the Killing Joke. That's not something you were very excited to see. That was the it, pr- world premiere, right? I didn't end up going to the world premiere, and <laughs> because uh, the line started at uh, I don't know, like noon that day for oh, it. Wow. For I feel worse for those shows. people. I feel really bad for them. Did you see it? I did not see it. Okay, after the reviews came out. Don't. Um, so I went to see it Monday night in theaters, and it, this was a formative graphic novel for me. And it just wasn't that good. They added in all of these new pieces because the graphic novel's too short to make a full feature-length movie. The whole prologue. Yeah, and the prologue was more than half the movie or about half the movie. And um, yeah, most of that didn't work for me. And then there's elements. They were really true to like the, the actual comic in terms of the pains itself. And so I think that doesn't translate that well because there are all these places my imagination would go in between those, uh, you know, uh, the, strips. The re- and, everyone reads at their own pace. Yeah. And it, it felt like they never filled in those moments. Yes. I think that's a problem with many comic book adaptations, whether it's for live action or for even animated series. And often why sometimes the motion comics interpretation is my preferred one. Uh, I think pacing of motion comics can be a little slower. And I think when you're talking about something that's fully animated, the pacing tends to be quicker and you can never get a chance to really breathe in a panel. When you say motion comics, are you talking about like a interactive iPad version of a comic? More, more like uh, the Flash animated. They take the art from the comic, but right. then some, uh, someone in Flash um, animates those, gotcha. those act, the actual art and uh, separates the backgrounds and, and does some actual... That's not what The Killing Joke was? No, Killing Joke was a fully animated. They did the, the art style um, in, in the vein of the original art style. Uh, but you're right, that, that comic, that graphic novel, Alan Moore's Killing Joke, which is known, it's, I mean, this is not a big spoiler, it's known, it's famous, infamous for uh, showing how Batgirl uh, was crippled. And 
Barbara Gordon became Oracle after after being crippled. Um, I would say it's more famous for one of the first stories that showed Joker and Batman as being opposites mm. of each other. You know, different sides of the same coin. Uh, because that's what really stuck with me. And it has that famous last uh, that last scene mm-hmm. uh, where Batman confronts the Joker and uh, they they both laugh and realize the absurdity of their relationship. Didn't, uh, didn't work. Not that good. Oh, okay. Uh, that was strike. You call that strike one? Uh, well, actually, we should check in with strike one because strike one for me was actually Batman v Superman. But Jeremy had some homework last week, right? Well, it felt like homework. Yeah, Norma suggested on the last podcast that I get around to watching Batman v Superman. And that's because we had seen the Justice League trailer and the Wonder Woman trailer. Particularly the Wonder Woman trailer, which I thought was surprisingly phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and so I watched it on the plane as I flew to um, Pinburg, which we'll talk about later. And it was just... Um, mm. Now, you have to give... <laughs> movies that you watch on a plane naturally are like a point or two worse on a 10-point scale oh. because you're watching them on a plane. Well, and this... To be fair, it was the Delta version of the of the. Oh, of, oh. Wait, there was a cut of the movie. No, there wasn't. I, not that I know of, but it does have <laughs> the like Delta cut. It has uh, de- now on Blu-ray. Delta, you know, low com- res. It comes up across the top as a watermark. Oh yeah, that's right. You got you got you got two your, or three times. You got your you know three sixty p, your interlace with the wa- Delta yeah. watermark. Their C- their censored cut of the film. It's probably formatted for their uh, LCD and, panel. Yeah, and formatted for. Or sixteen ten or four by three. <clears throat> I mean, now I I wasn't a huge fan of the last Superman movies either, so I wasn't like psyched Man to see this movie. Was there only one Superman There's movie? Only one. All right, well, I wasn't yeah. a big fan of that one. Um, and I loved the the um the last the last uh, Batman trilogy, Chris Nolan. So I wasn't super psyched about seeing uh, Ben Affleck, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I finally got around to watching it because of Wonder Woman. I loved the Wonder Woman character. I thought she was took it very seriously. She pulled it off, I was yep. which surprised me because in the trailers, they kind of t- throw in there as a teaser, and it looks like, well, what's she doing there? This is a Batman v Superman movie. But she ended up being the most interesting part to me. I hated the Lex Luthor character, not the actor. I thought all the acting, they did all right. But the, the, um, just the fact that they made him more of a Joker character. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a comic book fan, but... I never thought Lex Luthor was supposed to be kind of schizophrenic insane. Yeah. Um, he seemed to be a genius, and just like the criminal genius. I mean, he's supposed to be genius insane. Like, he's so smart, he's insane. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I grew up with the Gene Hackman, um, mm-hmm. you know, Christopher Reeve Superman. And Who is kind of a Joker character? He's, he's a little Gene Hackman? Yeah. I don't remember that. I mean, he, I remember uh, he was Lex Luthor mogul. for me. Uh, <laughs> All about that land. Uh, so, whatever. I mean, it was... Just it's, I didn't need the whole um, superhero at the end. I mean, the, not superhero. The super end. villain. Yeah, super villain. Um, it just I don't know. It, didn't at one point like Batman shoot people? Batman shoots people all throughout the whole movie. What's up with that? That doesn't that happen? Well, it's a, it's an old. Uh, uh, these are apologetics, but the the writing that I mean, Batman, both Batman and Superman kill people in this film. Pretty like. Superman kills people in the the like, second scene when Lois Lane is. I mean, they never show it. Yeah, but when Lois Lane is being threatened yeah. by the terror or by the the the, the um, terrorist, yeah, or the warlord, mm-hmm. uh, Superman slams him through the brick wall, and you only could presume like well, he might have his hand behind him, maybe, and no. you never show the consequence for that. But he's no. upset because Lois. It, that's true. Emotions it sets up. Yeah, it I sets don't, up, don't, I don't, don't mind that. I, I wasn't so reactionary as a lot of the fans were about that in the sense of like, 
it, it, that wasn't a, a line that I couldn't cross. Yeah. But the movie never set up that line to be crossed. Yes. And, and actually, it did in the first Man of Steel. Like for all of Man of Steel's faults, and for some people, it's very big fault. They, people some, can't deal with the fact that Superman kills Zod at the end of Man of Steel. And I'm, I'm okay with that if that is the turning point that gives him his do not kill mantra. And that's never fully developed and earned because you see his grief after that. And it's the grief of being then killing the last surviving other surviving member of his race, but also killing for the first time and using his power for something he never, his father held him against using. But then in this movie, you never see the consequences of that. And my biggest fault with this is that I think they tried to, in trying to address a lot of criticisms of Man of Steel, they showed Superman saving people, but it was so selective saving. It wasn't, it was like, slow saving it was almost over dramatic for the just for the visual moment him hovering above flooded waters when the family was spray painted the superman sign on the roof and he's just floating there why isn't he saving them exactly it's because Zack snyder wanted the shot the, the jesus shot of the sun shining behind his head he was too wedded to that idea of uh of superman being a god and the imagery yeah. of that as opposed to in the comics, and they, I think in the extended scene, they show him like flying around after the Capitol building explodes and saving people and like bringing them out of the rubble. Like the way to show Superman saving people is to make it so that he always feels like, even for all his strength and speed, he is still not strong or fast enough to save as many people as he wants. It seemed like the movie was made to make a trailer, you know, because like they had all those perfect shots that worked much better as a trailer than they did in the actual context of the film. I, I hope that they had made more sense. And by the way, I didn't buy the whole, the, even the premise that Batman would be fooled into thinking Superman was the bad guy and needed to be taken down. And 20 years in Gotham. Yeah. How and, many and stayed that way? One, one question that must have an answer that I have no answer to. How was Superman at the drop point for the kryptonite coming off the ship? And then Batman tried to steal it and Superman foiled his plans. Oh, yeah. What was that about? <laughs> That was, again, Superman wearing, having his blinders. Like, yeah, that's, that's a scene where, again, they're like, oh, we need an expensive Batmobile sequence. We built a Batmobile. Yeah. yeah. And here's an action scene. Here, and here's Batman literally, he rams a car. The car with the criminals then goes into a shipping container, and the criminals are showed alive, shaken, right? Okay, Batman took out this vehicle, armored vehicle with the thugs in them. Then Batman shoots a grappling hook into that same car with the incapacitated criminals already, and swings that car into another car, they both explode. Yeah. <laughs> no, Batman would never do that. Batman would never do that. But, I, I get him. I get a, a tired Batman who maybe is forced in those, in those fights. You know, he gets angry and breaks arms and, you know, chokes someone um, and, you know, pushing their guns away and maybe hits another person, but not actively throwing one car into another and like literally shoot like he he just strafes in his bat wings strafes the line of vehicles and just blows them up no five in a row but just my question if was, was superman aware of the kryptonite at, at that moment yeah no why was he there he was there to he was there because he was frustrated with batman's vigilantism so and, he, and he's like oh oh this batman guy looks like he's there's a giant firefight with massive explosions <laughs> But the bad guy, he's the bad guy. Right. I don't like him. I'm gonna stop uh, him and give him a, a warning. Yeah. It, it's a funny. Last warning. It's funny to me that like what set it off was like, ooh, Batman branded a criminal. <laughs> and like, meanwhile, they're going around just killing a bunch of people. Right. He, oh, but he judged. put a brand on them. Yeah. What? Well, that's a, that's a death and sentence. Execute. That's all right. A that's a death of, sentence. Yeah. 
yeah. And the extended cut, they show how Lex Luthor manipulated that death sentence where he yeah. then paid the criminals in the prison to kill the people with the brand. But even then, like, the, yeah, like that plot hole where Superman, omniscient Superman. I thought it was another dream. Superman, I thought it was another dream sequence. I honestly did because it made no sense. It, that, that part did make no sense. Uh, all right. So our feelings are clear. So let's call that strike one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I want to give one recommendation. Jeremy, I know you don't read comics, but if you want, I think if you want to read a really good uh, Superman, uh, there is a Alex Ross comic. It's a large format comic, actually. Beautiful art called Superman for All Seasons. Oh, no. Oh. Is, it, is it Superman for All Seasons? Or is, is that the, uh, again, the uh, Tim Sale one? That might be the Jeff Loeb Tim Sale one. But I think it's, um, uh, gosh, what was the name of the comic? Um, I tried to. It is called. You're not thinking of Peace on Earth. Peace on Earth. That's the one I'm thinking about. Superman, Peace on Earth. It's a large. I am. Thank you for sure. I think that Paul Dini wrote that, actually, if I recall. It is Alex Ross and Paul Dini. You're (laughs) right. There you go. Whoa. Sure. With the knowledge this week. It is. uh, Alex Ross does these painterly styles. Every time you've seen, like, the Kingdom Come stuff where it's, it's, it's like almost like Norman Rockwell of uh, comic book art. Um, his Superman's kind of the, the quintessential mid-century modern Superman. Right on. Um, but he did this large format comic uh, called Superman Peace on Earth where it shows what if Superman tried in like 24 hours to create peace on Earth with all his speed and strength. Could he do it? Yeah. With, and it's with, an impossible with, task. Without killing anybody. Without killing anyone. But yeah. what if he tried to take weapons away from all the wars? If he tried to bring food to all the people who needed it and just like run around the globe doing it, like would it be possible? And it's the world is too complex, and that I think is a more interesting story than Superman thinking that the world might not need a Superman. Yeah, you all, you need the yin and the yang. Well, that's I guess that, that's what this whole movie was supposed to be, and you got two brooding people, two brooding yeah. characters. If you want to watch a good Batman v Superman movie, mm. uh, there's an animated one called Superman Batman Public Enemies. Which is uh, does it have Chuck D in it? It does not. Oh. I don't. I don't <laughs> I'd watch it then. So. I would. It does not. John C. McGinley though is one of the voice actors. So that all right. I, I apologize for the tangent. <laughs> do we need to? Do we need to? Oh, I thought we were up. We're not doing Strike Three. No, no, no. We aren't doing Strike Three. But do we need to? Um, <laughs> Inception up. Inception up. Right here. There you go. Okay, so we can agree that was terrible. Yep. Yes. Uh, killing joke. Not good. B- better. Than Batman v Superman, but still not good. And then we have to talk about what's happening this weekend. Yeah, this oh. weekend. It's not. It's a strike. Oh, it. I haven't read so, the reviews. So the reviews have used the term, and and I will just say, our Will Smith did not write these. <laughs> have used the term liberally, dumpster fire. Wow. We're talking about Suicide Squad. Yes. The quite possibly the most highly anticipated movie this summer. And. It's a big budget film, right? Well, not only is it a big budget film, it's supposed to make $140 million this weekend uh-huh. for a super villain film with no known characters. Well, I mean, they known have actors. They the have, they have known actors, yeah. They have Will Smith and they Margot have Robbie. Margot, Margot Robbie, who's like super popular right now. And um, that uh, the, the model actress, Cara, I forget what her name, how do I pronounce her last name? Uh, but anyway, the tracking for this movie, Suicide Squad, has been through the roof. It's supposed to do better than Deadpool this first weekend. Yeah, and at Comic-Con, it blew the roof off. 
Everyone is cosplaying as a Suicide yeah. Squad character, despite the... Just as Harley Quinn. Come on, let's get this out of the way. I've it's seen, I saw all... a couple chokers. But yeah, yeah despite the questionable mm-hmm. costuming... Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you know what its Rotten Tomato is right now? 35%. I see 34. 30, it's gone down <laughs> 1% in the 20 seconds since I checked it and Jeremy checked it. Here, like, it's, this it, isn't... By the time this podcast ends, it'll be at zero. It, this isn't much of a spoiler because obviously I haven't seen it, but what I read was that, you know, Suicide Squad has whatever, like six, seven different people. And so it tries to introduce you to all of them with backstory. And so how can you have a film that has backstory of that many people and then they go do something? What are they, the thing that bugs me about this film, and you're right, like, like watching the trailers, which have been cleverly edited. I don't know if you've seen the trailers. Sure. They've been set to... Pop pieces and really like, like good, good hot sync. cuts, yeah, yeah, fast fast cuts, very like YouTube friendly. Uh, the trailers never show you what they're being brought together to do. No, and that's the question I've had. Like, hopefully, there's an interesting actual villain. Yeah, you know, it's, if it's not good versus evil and it's bad versus evil, what is the evil? I was actually hoping it? they would have to go steal Kryptonite from Batman or something like that. Oh, like it would be a bad. Thing. Right, right. Like the government's yeah. making them do, and they actually, and yeah, I, you know, I, I'm still gonna watch it. Of course you are. I don't know this one. This one's I'm I'm hurting. I feel like DC Warner Brothers has just been poking me with a stick uh, these last few years, and this uh, this might be a, a a straw too far. You loved these comics? Uh, no, I wasn't a huge fan of Suicide Squad. I love the but, characters, but Dead they shot. have incredible source material yeah yeah i think people are also curious about the new joker jared leto's joker what a dangerous shoe to step into right Mm -hmm. because those are two amazing jokers to follow yeah yeah i i had zero expectations for him in that role because of what jeremy just said i mean it's just too much you know the other thing is um villains typically in these types of films have been more memorable like the way you know, people remember Christian Bale as Batman, but no one's ever going to forget Jack Nicholson as the Joker or Heath Ledger as the Joker. And villains, they can have more fun. They can they can go over the top. They can be maybe written more interestingly. But when you have six or seven villains, there's got to be someone who's getting the short straw. Yeah. If, if this is true, that they try to tell the origin stories of all these people, just can we get to the point where we're past the origin stories? And the, and people like them, though. Do they? Yeah. I need no origin story of Killer Croc. No, not the fans, Do, but people, you know. And we still get the origin story of Batman in all these stupid movies. Yeah, that was weird. Like, well, why? I think they did that one specifically going back to Batman v Superman. The opening shot is the origin story of Batman, him falling into the cave, and also they, uh, they flash back to his parents' death. They needed that to emphasize his connection to his family. You mean his mother's his name? His mother. And not only his mother's name, but also like the reason he exists is, you know, his, his parents. Why did you say that name? Why did you say that name? And then, like, you're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised. Someone's got to have made this is a, a gif me. about this. But, like, the moment where Lois Lane, Amy Adams says, it's his mother's name. And then, like, Ben Affleck does the, his mask is torn off. There's, like, a big hole in it. And he does a very, like, oh, fuck moment. Oh, whoa, oh, oh. Like, he bites his lip. And he goes, oh, I, I messed up. <laughs> the gravy's in no dialogue. <laughs> And then the whole movie just pays off like, oh, whoops, let me walk away here. (laughs) If he had just said my bad, it would have been redemptive for me. Yes. (laughs) 
Seven I'm ma- a friend. I'm a friend of your son. <laughs> right. <laughs> you guys are friends already. All right, we got to get to more positive pop culture news because now that we've taken a giant dump on that universe. Oh, can I talk about my vacation? Yes, please. Right. Uh, so let's you, talk about this. The, you were after we recorded last week. You left to go to Pittsburgh. That's right. Um, and for whatever reason, that is where you will find the world's largest pinball tournament every year. There are pinball fans there, and they hold both the world championships as in uh, early summer, and then they hold Pinburg in the midsummer. This is my hometown. How'd you? You are from Pittsburgh. I am. Well, um, seven hundred people showed up, uh, and there was a hundred thousand dollars up for grabs. And as it predicted, I won nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but I did extremely well the first day. I of seven hundred people, I finished in fortieth freaking place. Wow, oh, nice. Yeah, no, that was awesome. That's... But what that meant was the next day I had to play against the top hundred and seventy-five, and I got destroyed. So the first day I got to play against everybody. Did you actually get destroyed, or do you, like where did you end up at the end of the? Oh, in the somewhere over hundred. That's incredible. Well, no, man. but I couldn't end up more than one hundred and seventy-five. You're like a top two hundred player pinball player in the world. In the world. No, no, no. My ranking. I actually have a ranking. It's like three fifty or something like that. But that still doesn't mean anything because it's a matter of how many competition or how many tournaments you play in. In any case, um, I'm. Well, you needed to finish in the top forty to even play in the third day, uh, and so I did not do that. Obviously, but I did have a couple friends in other divisions play on uh, the third day. They just support them. We had a good time. And I just want to say, like, this if you have any interest in pinball, I know it sounds like I'm a huge nut and I probably am, but if you are just casually interested in pinball and you have a tournament near you, go to it. If you're near Pittsburgh next year, look into this. Uh, tickets go on sale around December. It's a blast. And, well, and there are people there who of all skill levels, of all levels of interest. And it's just a good, good time and insanely well run. Uh, everything ran on schedule. Awesome event. The whole event is nestled inside what they call Replay Effects, which is like a California extreme <coughs> uh, for you know the East Coast, where it's just a ton of video games, hundreds of video games, and then hundreds of pinball machines, all free play. You pay for a pass to get in. And there are, they have bouncy houses for kids. And panels and live music, and it's just it's a good time. There's lots of rare things. Guess what I saw there? What did you see there? The the PlayStation SNES. You saw there live and in person. What? what? Yeah, one of a kind. What? This was the this... one that they got booting up. Yes. And running and spinning a CD. Yeah, and I asked them about that, and so the, the whoa whoa whoa, you didn't tell me this. The last thing that they have to do is get a replacement laser so that they can actually read discs. But wow. it was right there in front of me. I could have grabbed it and ran. Holy That's amazing. Moly. Look at piece th- of video game history. Look at this controller. It says PlayStation uh, yeah. right on it. And it looks like a SNES controller. Let me see. Oh, that's the crazy. Sony, it looks Sony great. PlayStation yeah. it looks like a SNES controller. Super cool. Um, so that was just there on display. And they were very excited about working with Ben more this summer, uh, later this fall to get it working. Ben Heck. Ben Heck, yeah. Who helped hack them get get it back and running? Yeah. Uh, my question is, for people who can't make it to Pittsburgh, is this event live stream captured in some way? Yeah. And how do they composite live stream for pinball? Because they do an, uh, these guys are top of their game, so they they have it is on Twitch, and you mm-hmm. can subscribe to the Papa Twitch channel, P A P A, the Professional Amateur Pinball Association. <laughs> Papa, nice. And they have cameras set um, to top down on the playfield, so you can watch the game being played. They have one on the scoreboard. And they composite all these together, and then they usually have one on the player. Oh, and they usually have one on the player. They have one on the player, and uh, it's it's really you know they just do a great job. And then there's commentary. Like mm-hmm. there's three guys sitting in a booth. You can't usually see them, but they do have a camera occasionally. 
and they're they're just offering commentary, explaining to people what's happening in the game uh, and what they need to do, what strategies they would suggest, and see if the player actually manages to pull that off. Now, how long do these games usually last, and is the commentary actually interesting for someone who does not follow pinball? They try to make it as much so, and some people are better at that than others. Um, the guy who is in the front of this whole event is Bowen Karens, and he um, does these tutorials that everyone in the pinball has seen. And if you um, are just getting into pinball, they're the ones you want to watch because he is very user-friendly. He's a, he's a teacher. Mm -hmm. So he has the ability to speak about pinball in a very accessible way, but also speak about it while he's playing. There's got to be the technology for them to annotate, too, on their live stream. Oh, that would be great. That's not happening yet. But you right? mean like a football style? Exactly. Like, like on the play field, video play field, like draw the line. Well, you need to do this trajectory That's for him idea. to hit that point to yeah. finish this mission. He needs to go hit. He can hit three options. He can hit here, here, and here. But then ball needs to land on this part of the flipper. And that, like, that I would love to see. Oh, see, now, now I want to see that so badly. Right? Yes, I'll suggest that. That's a great idea. And like, even after the fact. I mean, live would be even would be the most entertaining to watch with that kind of annotation sure. as a layer. Yeah. The technology yep. must exist. This is the shirt from this year, very 80s style. It's right. got like this grid style background. It's, uh, I dig it. It's, uh, it was a good event. I was happy to go. 80s are back in. 80s are so back in. I know That's we want to jump into the next thing and talk about the 80s. I want to talk about what I did this past weekend, which is a different event. Okay. What well, did you do this past weekend? Well, I was in Las Vegas this past weekend. I went with Frank and Joey. Um, it was my bachelor weekend. Oh wow! And Last hurrah for Norm. That's I guess that's what's supposed to be. Uh, everything that you're supposed to do on that week, that kind of weekend we did. But I mean, except I, you seem to be like functional uh, right I, I now. I didn't so. vomit or anything. I wasn't left on a rooftop or anything like that. <laughs> uh, Caesars. Um, the thing that I didn't want to talk about is that Frank took us to a gun range. Okay. Yeah, they have those there where you can fire any kind of weapon practically, right? Yes. And we didn't do the thing where like you drive an hour outside of the city and, and fire a rocket launcher or something. That, that would have been a little ridiculous. Uh, but I fired guns before, you know, pistols before. I've been on press events to fire, you know, machine guns, like World War II weapons before. And this was like like that, uh, where you can you buy a package. They had though the thing I want to talk about. They had a gamer package specifically. It was like 190 bucks, and you could fire four guns that were based out of Counter Strike. These oh, are the oh. guns that people would they really cater to like. The people play Call of Duty and Counter Strike. Yeah. So here's your Glock, here's your MP5, here's your M4 Commando, and here's a sniper rifle. So I had friends who did that. Um, sniper rifle, really? Yeah. There was like your typical um, like scout sniper rifle from Counter Strike, and there was also the a massive like the the sniper rifle that was so loud that you could you were standing back like eight feet behind Frank as he fired it. I could feel the the wind, wow. like, the, the air hit me. Eight and, feet behind him? Yeah. Just Jeez. like, boom, wow. hit me as he fired it. Uh, so, like, just getting a sense of that. And we, of course, the thing that I, I wish they had in terms of, like, these kind of live experiences, I always, like, how do you make it more interesting from a technological standpoint? I wish it was better lit and filmed with high-speed cameras. Sure. Because, like, you could bring your own phones in, and we all shot with high-speed on our iPhones, which you can do 100 FPS, 240 FPS, and it would look crazy cool to see the muzzle flash and, and the shells hit up. Um, eject from the side but if they had like a sony fs 700 or any of these like just even prosumer cameras today that could do good low light and good good uh, high speed at yeah. 240 fps at 1080p or even at, higher right or even higher that's like a, an easy thing from the cell upsell package. that upsell they'd pay right? they pay for that package that camera in a week 
easy. Like anyone going there, like people don't pay for photos. They pay for the experience. But the thing they were going to take away is their Instagram photo. Like in, in a culture where everyone just wants that five second clip or photo that they can share about their experience, that's an, a no brainer mm-hmm. for me. Why low light? Why don't they have it lit better? I mean, they. I mean, you need much better lighting to do high speed. You need pretty, pretty high lighting photos. I think. Like they yeah, had but little, they, they had should. spots, but it's and yeah. it was it was well lit. It just wasn't lit well enough for the phones to capture it right. all that. Oh, well. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and the phones don't resolve um, in any kind of dark situation. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really cool was that we went for the additional package. They had a zombie, a virtual zombie shooting experience. <laughs> now, when I say that, like it, it exceeded all my expectations because. It sounded like they're uh, oh okay you can shoot a static target like you hang your your target right it looks and then you it, it, like, rather it zip than a bullseye back, right the zip lines back and you shoot it and then the guy goes oh you killed that guy oh is there any doctors in the house oh is he dead yeah you killed him like, <laughs> like, okay whatever. give me my twenty dollars yeah it was way more than that <laughs> like it was a lot you, like oh you shot your six shots now get out of here <laughs> um they had the package where like could shoot you could play like a left for dead style game mm. and shoot real guns at a left for dead style game left, left for dead style game what do you mean so they had a room where they had um downrange a projection screen mm-hmm. like i would i want to say it's about at least 15 feet by 15 feet maybe 20 feet by 20 feet projection screen so it's not fully encompassing not 360 but it's it's pretty sizable and a projector projecting software on it. And so the game plays out and zombies run at you. And this is an, an original game? An original game. Huh. And you shoot real guns at the screen. That don't fire ammo. That fire ammo. No. Blanks. Yeah, no. Real <laughs> bullets. And the game reacts. That's the thing I didn't expect. Yeah. So I, it's projected on like a, like a target? It's projected on a sheet of paper, and they do a roll of paper, and oh. the, the paper gets cycled out after every play session. Oh, and the holes that you poke in the paper with yeah. your bullets are detected by an IR sensor, which then tells the game where you shot. That's pretty interesting. That's pretty great, actually. That's amazing. It's <laughs> really great. And so you get the full like firing gun experience, and wow. like, and like, it was exhausting. Even like playing for it could give you a hundred bullets if you play for you know. Five to ten minutes or something. Yeah. By the end of it, my arms are just tired holding a pistol up, uh-huh. shooting at the zombies. Were you struggling to reload fast enough? They reload for you. So once okay. you empty, they help and they, they don't let you like it's not about speed. <laughs> speed, is, speed you is don't not go like something. this, you like flick <laughs> yeah. it off and like it's no just... flicking like now the vibe vibe did not prepare me <laughs> for for the intensity of uh of the the zombie gun experience. Um but the fact that they had the IR grid set up and the, the game reacted to it and detected, you know, headshots versus, you know, body shots for the yeah. zombies, like, I thought it was a really interesting use of that's technology. A lot of engineering. Some, I mean, a custom a, game that's pretty custom cool. Custom thing. Yeah. And, the, and they don't have a high speed camera. And, they invested they, in a custom game, <laughs> but no high speed camera. I know. Yeah. That's great. That sounds amazing. So you, you got like the Counter Strike package? Uh no, I got the like the pick four, okay. pick four gun package. I would have done the Doom package. They don't have a Doom. I package. would want like the plasma rifle. They don't have that. No. BF, BFG. No, no BFG. <laughs> that would be dangerous. Rocket launcher, man. Well, which which BFG would you would you want? The which, Doom one. The Doom BFG, yeah. which is the same. Uh, it's the green ball. Yeah, the green ball. 
Yeah. Not the Quake BFG. Or the Quake there 2. Was, there wasn't Quake, a Quake, Quake BFG. Quake 2 had a BFG. Well, oh, which okay. was the, the flying green ball with the light, yeah. the light beams that, right. that went out. And I, I never liked that BFG. Uh, the BFG in Quake 3 was uh, fast blue balls that did a lot of damage. So you remember the, the later ones. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. It was that's that's the one game, the one weapon that was changed between the games and yeah as, as OP. Anyway, uh, sorry for that tangent. Sorry for that tangent. Oh man, you love this. <laughs> it, oh, now I'm muted. <laughs> the last thing, as uh, Kishore alluded to, going back to the '80s, all three of us have watched at least one episode of Stranger Things. How we- far are you guys? Oh, uh, episode one. And unfortunately, that's just because I was on a plane and can't stream. Uh, but yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And I, I wasn't really prepared for it, like why I would love it. Everyone said, you got to watch Stranger Things. And I love the poster. It's got that, it's got the perfect like 80s look to it. So mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, oh, maybe it's going to feel like that. I, and it totally felt like that. It's like, it's like Goonies. It's like a spooky Goonies, you know? It's, just, it's shot like a Spielberg kids film where they got those low camera angles with how the kids see the world. And it was just like good acting and drama and a tense kind of, you know, in the world where we didn't have cell phones, which I think changed everything. Like this movie wouldn't work with cell phones. And it was, uh, you know, it's got aliens and it's just awful. It's got supernatural elements. Fine. Yeah. I don't Al- know if they're aliens. Well, aliens I, is I, in I'm like, only three, not, not from this planet. But. I, it's something supernatural. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm only three episodes in. Because uh, sure, you've seen the whole thing. I finished it, so I'm not going to give away any spoilers. But I got to say, like the references that you allude to, Spielberg. Yeah. Um, it, it that list is going to get a lot longer. John Carpenter, Joe Dante, yeah, John Carpenter for sure. Even John Hughes. Mm. Like you know, you're going to get like yeah. all over the map in yeah. terms of the references. I've wondered because I've heard a lot of incredible things about Stranger Things, myself included, from people of our sort of generation, yeah. people that grew up in that sort of '80s time frame. I wonder if like people like millennials watching this are like, what is this? So that's a really good question. And it, it's the thing that surprised me the most about this is how unnoticed it was in production. It was not hyped up. They just put it out in the world as Netflix does and then let word of mouth really carry it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of become the hit. Uh, no the names attached well, to it, really. Winona Ryder. But like, I don't think she's enough to you know, carry a whole lot of and, right, and Matthew Modine. And like, yeah. yeah, Matthew Modine. That's right. Like, what? Matthew Modine. <laughs> Uh, so it's, it's all really on the strength of the writing, the concept, but Netflix doesn't pay for this type of show unless it knows it's going to resonate with a certain market. And I think it, they don't care if millennials, if this, if this resonates with millennials, because they know based on their watching data, based on different user accounts and who's paying for Netflix, that's really people who are now in their thirties and forties who grew up in the eighties, who are buying the Netflix accounts and who they need to hit with you know, another hit like this. And Netflix is the same company that just um, streamed the entire uh, first season of Voltron, which right. was awesome. Another 80s throwback. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's something that they could, that they design to be a throwback, but also appeal to kids. Mm-hmm. And so parents can watch it with their kids. Uh, with, with Stranger Things, it's, it's clearly high production. You can't watch that with your kids. Not young not, kids. Not, not young kids. That would freak no, my, no, my not kids Not young out. kids. But I think the highest compliment I've seen for the series is Will Wheaton came out and said, this is the modern day Stand By Me. <laughs> now, that is uh, like yeah. for somebody that was in Stand By Me, that's pretty high praise. Sure. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, they, they do have, why does it have to have this scary factor, though? I mean, Stand By Me is a classic film, as was... Um, it's Stand By Me, 
But Stand By Me is classic in the sense that it's about the relationship between the four kids in with the backdrop of something that, from a kid's perspective, is really terrifying, finding their dead bodies. Right. And that imagination, yeah. like that, that one catalyst sets off all right. the things that clash but between I, them. I felt like Super 8 was the modern Goonies in some ways, too. And, but they, and I love Super 8. I mm-hmm. can't wait to watch that with my kids. But it's terrifying, and I can't watch it until they're like maybe you know a little bit older, maybe with double-digit years. Um, so same with Goonies. Goonies. No, no, no. You could watch Goonies. Now. Goonies, Goonies is terrifying. Like, no, that's like six, seven, eight. Sloth maybe love eight. junk. <laughs> yeah, when the when the when the the mom when the gang like captures. Yeah, but that's it's it's cute. Like nobody nobody really gets there hurt. Skulls There's, and. But compared to Super Eight, you get yeah, me. It's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like yes. the newer versions of these moves. They have to be scarier, and I, I just well, maybe that's not always the case. People, you know, knowing what happens at least in the second and third episode of Stranger yeah. Things, you're not going to be able to watch this with your kids for a long yeah. great time. Like, great. Have, have they seen Poltergeist? No. Okay, well then they're not going to watch Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, no. It, even I was. <laughs> As the show progresses, I definitely was. I started getting a little scared because yes, it's scary. The, the way they set the mood is incredible. Um, note they are releasing the soundtrack, which is phenomenal for this show. Who's, yeah. Who makes the like, soundtrack? I don't know. It's very synthy, right? Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the tr- like Tron esque, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, we're in the middle of this '80s uh, nostalgia period right now. You know, we've got like we already mentioned Voltron. Uh, you've got like Kung Fury going viral. Um, that's so 2014 <laughs> but you, you get me right i mean we're, we're now 30 years past it and it's it's time to be nostalgic for it can't wait till people are nostalgic for the 90s ready player one you know you know that's the other thing i was thinking about like if ready player one is the video game equivalent for stranger things which mm-hmm. is why i think it would be better as a as an eight-part series as opposed to the two-hour film that spielberg's making like then i'll be happy regardless of the bad plot points like there's just the 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 reverence to 80s culture that Stranger Things shows yeah. without being overly pandering. Mm-hmm. And there are like some overt references with the posters and the things that kids watch on TV and the music. Like that, I feel like it's just the amount, right amount of reference mm-hmm. uh, without just shoving it in your face. And that's my fear for Ready Player One. That it won't do that? That would be too, that too much? Be too much. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure that Spielberg will, will watch at least an episode or two of this because he'll catch wind. Uh, the musicians for the uh, soundtrack for Stranger Things, Austin-based band, Survive. Oh, that's great. It's, it's a really good listen. I, I encourage everyone to watch it. Um, watch it through the end. It doesn't, just like Voltron, it doesn't resolve as well as you want it to. So uh, it, it's really enjoyable. True that. All right. We've gone through almost an hour now of pop culture news. So let's go on some tech news. we have an intro? For no, this? we don't have one. No intros. Do 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 tech news. Hey guys, Good. what's going on with technology? So last week, Jeremy, you and I talked about Elon Musk's Phase Two, the uh, Master Plan Part Two. That's right. And since then, oh well, I want to do a correction. First of all, we misread the uh, press release about Phase Two. Elon Musk does not want to put solar panels on top of cars. He means solar panels on top of houses, which then have a seamless integration with the cars. You park at the house. Wait, you guys talked about solar panels being on top of cars last week? Yes. I gotta go watch this podcast. I know. I mean, that we, sounds pretty fun. We actually spent quite a while on it. <laughs> <laughs> How could this work? You would lose the moonroof. Uh, <laughs> solar panels on top of houses and with their partnership with Solar City, whatever, however they get merged yeah. or acquired. 
since then, we've both received our Tesla uh, thank you card for the Tesla 3 pre-order. From Elon. From Elon. Elon personally sent out however many hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of uh, sketches, what? Tesla 3 pr- prints, custom, limited edition prints. So what did you get with it? You got a print of the car? Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a note, a one-sentence note. Thank you for ordering a Model 3. Elon. He didn't sign it. It well, was it, printed Elon. I'm pretty sure he approved it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and this past week also we saw the debut, the unveiling of the the Gigafactory. Yeah. Yeah. I So the uh, Tesla owners that were invited to that, they were all the Tesla owners that had enough um, reference codes used to order a Model Three. You understand? You understand? So, like, no, if like a Model S owner put gave their code to a friend and they used that code to get a discount on the Model Three, uh, and like ten okay. people referral did that code. referral code. Yeah. Then enough. If you had enough of those codes used, you got invited. So if you had enough rich friends, yeah, right, and you, you're early enough adopter and influencer, then you got invited. These were the tastemakers. So they were invited out to the to the opening of the uh, Gigafactory. Okay. And the, so, but I guess the Gigafactory is officially fourteen uh, percent finished in terms of its footprint. You know, it's it's up and running, but all, the the building that exists is only fourteen percent of the final footprint inside. Uh, the, the yeah. Actual building, the actual the, building. The building on the outside structurally is the is done. No. What fourteen percent? It means it's gonna be. It's massive. Seven times as big. Yes. It is going to be the biggest footprint of any building in the planet. So what's there right now is not the biggest building in the world. No. At all. No. It's only a seventh the size. That's correct. Currently. Yeah, they showed a cool CG render of it expanding, and it's nuts. It's absolutely freaking nuts. Because it looks like a big building already. Yeah, Maybe does. not like a really giant IKEA distribution. Factory. Right. Not just an IKEA, but an IKEA distrib- distributor. Yeah. And they announced that they want to, once this is finished, they want to just move everything there. Like Fremont. I don't no know way. what they're going to do with Fremont, Sorry, but they're going to bring raw materials in one side of the building and spit cars out the other end. Are they going to build, then is he going to build his giant solar, literal solar city in the backyard of that? I have no idea. Because you know how he did that big talk about how if we built this area of land, if we just filled it with solar panels, that would power the earth. Oh, right. right? And yeah. Like if he buys enough of the land, it won't be that big, but he could start, he could start building those panels out yeah. in the back, in the backyard. I don't know. That 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 is actual evil genius mm-hmm. supervillain business he's operating in. Biggest building in the world, giant solar panel, self sustaining solar panel city. Like, did you not see Spectre on that base at the end? I, I have one suggestion for him though. To really make it a supervillain base, he either like covers the outside of this facility in a faux volcano. So <laughs> um or inside he has a 360-degree office that's just all glass that yep. sits in the center of the factory mm-hmm. that is his office, and it just has, like, a glass table. No, no, no. Him in it. The glass table. So this is what needs to happen. He has that office glass table, 360 degrees, and he doesn't build a volcano around his city. If He builds a sun reflectors panels that flip up and down, and then at some point near the end of the movie, it looks like a volcano. It, and then his glass office legs sprout out of it and it walks around. Really? I was just going to suggest having a cat in there. Oh, an evil cat. cat. Bald cat? One of those? Not bald. I was just going to say white. I mean, bald, that would be cartoony, Norm. Elon Musk is classier than that. Okay. He's not claw from, uh, from Inspector <laughs> no. Gadget. I'm telling you, we've got to get this guy on the podcast. <laughs> I think he's a little busy. 
He doesn't live far from here. You can do it. All right. I'll put in some calls. So we also had some phones announced, or at least a big phone announced this week, uh, the Galaxy Note 7. So Samsung's Galaxy phones are on a two-phone-a-year release schedule. You have the Galaxy S7, which came out earlier this year, and this is now its bigger brother, and also the Galaxy 7. I guess they do the 7 and the 7 Edge, which is slightly bigger with the curved screen. Uh, this is the Galaxy Note 7, and the Note line is denoted not by just its size, but also its support for a stylus. So uh, the Note 7 uh, has... Well, let's jump to the sci-fi thing. It has an iris scanner in it, yeah. which is like the, the real sort of selling point, because there's some problems with it. Uh, actually, we'll talk about the problems real quick before we go to back to the iris scanner. It's running the old Snapdragon, so the 820, which tends to overheat. Uh, and only has four gigs of RAM, which is a little bit low, I think, for a phone of, of this caliber now. Now, that out of the way. Oh, and it's shipping Android 6 instead of 7 because it's a sort of a head. So those are all a little bit disappointing. Iris scanner. So the front-facing camera is now going to be able to look at your, uh, at your eyes. Did they demo this? Uh, I didn't see a video of it being demoed. I mean, is this what I'm doing to sign into my phone? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Is that, I don't know. I hope you don't have to hold it that close. I, that's what you do with iris scanners. You get right up on. I've seen movies. <laughs> so Samsung's calling the iris center iris scanner is something that's more secure than a fingerprint scanner, which it still has the uh, fingerprint scanner on the home button. Um, Apple's rumored to be doing the same thing. So it's you know, an infrared scanner. I'm reading. And it shoots an infrared light in your eye, mm -hmm. which it uses to pattern the iris. It doesn't indicate how far away you have to be for it to work. Here's, here's my thinking about this. I think that this is a really, while well, a novel idea, I think it's not going to do what they want it to do. Because if, if the benefit of an iris scanner is security, then Samsung's kind of missed the point of this, a mass market feature like this. People don't necessarily want these features because they offer more security. They want the features to add more convenience. Well, and the way the reason Touch ID is so successful, and the reason fingerprint scanner sensors, biometric sensors, have been successful on phones, isn't because now phones are more secure, any more secure than you, your password or your lock phrase. It's because then you can you add that extra that's the layer of instant unlock, uh, even though that, and with the good enough security. Yeah, practically speaking, I agree with you, but in terms of Apple's narrative, I think they want security because that's a part of their whole pitch now. And we've seen legal precedents that have said that fingerprints can be involuntarily submitted to unlock phones now. And we know they can absolutely be spoofed. Right. So I'm imagining that iris scanners will uh, work in their it's favor. It's an expensive piece of technology. You're not like hardware that's to put in. Could you imagine a kid waking a dad up to get his iris scan to unlock his phone? That's not going to happen, you know. But you now, can, if you can it, like grab my finger, it it won't work on this phone because you probably have to like unlock it and like swipe and do something. But if it ever gets to the point where it's more passive, that it can recognize a face coming over the phone because it has some sort of always on and can scan without you even touching it, it can see you look at the the scanner. That would be potentially quicker than the thumbprint. I don't think it's ever going to be quicker. So the trade-off, it's quick and secure. And the reason that I think fingerprints work quick and secure is because it's a direct contact sensor. And so you have less margin for error when you're scanning something directly on. If we're talking about any type of optical recognition where distance matters, and then the expectation becomes you're training people to have to hold their phone in a certain way, 
to, to hold it and to hold it in a certain light. Like we know those cameras, optical cameras are not that, even infrared cameras are, are not that great. And for Apple to do it, they would want to do it locally because they wouldn't want to send that data up to the cloud to unbox. And so that's a lot of processing power and hardware costs they're putting in for something that isn't going to be useful for the 95% of, pe- 99% of people who buy their phones. Now maybe the 5 or 1% that really care about it in, in the business market care or the paranoid market care about. Mm-hmm. I tried to be devil's advocate. I can't. I mean, this phone's going to fail because it's $600 and you're only getting 4 gigs of RAM. And right now, like the OnePlus 3 is 6 gigs of RAM at $400. I mean, so there's fundamentals of this phone that are not going to work well in the market right now. So I don't think this iris scanner is going to be what makes it fail. But you got to admit, this is a cool piece of technology for phones to at least explore. I, I, I absolutely agree. I think the thing that, especially in the Android market, the things I like the most are that there are enough manufacturers out there. And even though their, their motives is still, like Apple, to generate cash, and to get people to buy phones as often as possible, which is no one should do, uh, the way they're doing that is to experiment with features, whether that's with Project Tango or with new types of sensors or better cameras, and they can shotgun features at the wall and see what sticks, where Apple really only has one try. And if they release a phone, whether it's with the headphone jack or not, and people don't buy it, then that's bad news for them. For a year. For a whole year, Is, yeah. uh, is there anything about the Note 7 that will provide a better VR experience? Well, uh, there is a new Gear VR that was announced with the Note 7. I mean, I guess we can talk about it now. So the Gear VR previously hasn't changed much. The last Gear VR 2, I suppose, after the Innovator Edition, was lighter and still had a USB port and had different brackets for different size phones. The new Gear VR is a little heavier for the GS7, but it's all black. And the reason it's all black is they say that it, that prevents the glare from bouncing off the white of the chassis hmm. and getting into the lens. And the field of view is a little higher, from 96 degrees to 101 degrees. That's good. People are hoping for 110 degrees, like the, the Oculus, but it's I, even with that size phone, I think in that those lenses, because the lenses on the Gear VR are, are far simpler than the lens arrangement in, uh, in, in, in the, the Vive and the Rift, um, it's still, you only get 101 degrees. Now, the, that all, it also is USB Type-C now, although there is an adapter that will let you use the micro USB. Wow, Type USB C, Type C, yeah. which is great. Yeah, it's the it's the future for Android. That's your charging port. Charging port. Yeah, mm. yeah. And for some of those Android phones, it's also your audio jack. I still don't have a single cable. Oh my god, are we talking about this again? We're not talking about <laughs> it. We're, we're not talking about the rumor. <laughs> I'm gonna lose my mind. He's about to walk we... out. <laughs> Do we feel like we're talking? Um. The phone is also still 2560 by 1440. And I think everyone's kind of waiting for when is the first mass market 4K phone going to hit and if that is actually necessary. I don't think it'll be for a while. Well, it'll be great for VR. It'll be great for VR, but I, I, I don't... It'll be great for mobile VR because we be know great. that for desktop VR, that's not really necessary. What? For a mass market phone to have that screen, panels can be made, you know, you can have high-density panels regardless of what phones have. Mm-hmm. It might make those panels a little cheaper, right. but high, uh, desktop VR is still high, and like, it's still expensive pa- custom panels yes. anyway. What's happening? He's playing the, the transitions today. for you. <laughs> Someone's not doing his job. <laughs> uh, Olympics start this week. That's like a go back in time transition. 
No, it's not. The but it's just the, a, what like a transition. The inception? For no, no. I thought Inception's, that was like a time warp. Inception kind of thing. is let's layer up. We've gone too deep into a tangent. We gotta bounce back up. Okay. Oh, gotta go back. Is that what you think? Bom. I would. I always associate with it's like the new version of Wayne's World. No, that no, kind of thing. no. Inceptions. We've gone you, too deep into a tangent. Wait, wait, wait. Let's just ask a fundamental question. Have I've you seen, seen it. Yes, I've seen Inception <laughs> a couple times. All right. Fine. Uh, shut up. <laughs> no, no. Play the other one. The, uh, the, that's actually well, that was an appropriate moment there. But the, the other one, which is the. Uh, uh, you did called. a very good impression of it. That one. That yes. one. Oh, okay. That's the. Let's All move right. on to the next topic. All right. Let's so. move on now. All right, so the Olympics are starting this week. It actually may have already started, depending on where you are. And a Japanese company, NHK, NHK, a Japanese broadcast company, is going to be broadcasting the Olympics in 8K. Wow. Uh, 8K, which is, of course, I had to practice how to say this, 7680 by 4320, because that is an absurd number. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things as we, like, there's 4K and then there's 38... Uh, the twenty, no, thirty eight sixty by um, by uh, I forget what it is. But um, anyway, uh, it, as we get closer, it's it's even less. It's like hard drives. Like you buy a one terabyte hard drive and you only get you know nine hundred gigs. Eight um, K resolution is only seven thousand six hundred pixels wide. We, right, it, it's absurd. So let we'll. Just talk about it. so this is skipping the five six uh, five and six k and going straight to eight. Obviously, there are no commercial sets to do this in Sh- in the world. Yeah, so Sharp supposedly has an eight k set for sale, which is one hundred sixty thousand dollars. Okay, so Elon Musk and his Geek Gigafactory is probably watching on there. Uh, but what NHK has done is they've set up special theaters in Tokyo and Osaka where you can go watch the Olympics in eight k. So, is, in so a theater in a theater, yeah, where they're projecting at eight k. Yes, apparently. So they're doing a satellite signal, and there's a special codec they have for. Uh, so they're in code. They're saying it wirelessly, with compression. So we've seen AK footage. This is one of the things that Will and I were super blown out by, blown away by, uh, at CES. I want to say four years ago, uh, when we were at CES, Sharp had at their booth 8K video, and it was HK. There were only two cameras in existence at that time yeah. that could film in 8K. And they had it displayed on this. It was almost a composited arrangement. We actually looked behind the curtain and saw how many HDMI cables and SDI cables they had plugged in to get that output. But the the advantage of 8K is that then you can get up close. It isn't to sit and watch a screen, you know, 20 feet away or 30 feet away, uh, or even as in your living room, 15 feet away, and lie back and look at a 60-inch screen at 8K. It's to look at a screen that's you know 10 feet wide. And get up close to it and see things that are almost one to one size, and that was that looked great. Oh, I'm sure it looks great. Um, <laughs> it would be interesting if 4K TVs were powerful enough to zoom into 8K footage, you know, so that you could just be watching an 8K stream on a 4K TV and, and you then pan? and no, and then choose to zoom oh. and, and ca- pan. Sure, pan, you yeah, pan, yeah, you zoom home, in. home pan and scan. Yeah, exactly. That is a really interesting idea. Like usually, like an analog thing, like the Apple yeah. remote to like zoom around, especially for yeah. sports. I think it's yeah. really interesting. The Olympics, yeah. yeah. Like you direct your own like panorama stream. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't that entice? Like, technically, you could do that right now with two two cameras. Like if 
if a, a camera, a, a production company was set up to live stream and have two panoramic cameras and in the back end stitch them, because horizontal is what you, where you want, really want to have the action, like left and right side of a field or something, and then send out a signal and then let the home user, I mean, it's a lot of wasted data. Totally. Also. But so is foveated rendering. You know, like you're, it's all there, but you're only actually rendering what you want to see. Sure, sure. Uh, I guess that would be, the majority of people wouldn't get it. And, but okay, I guess the advantage there is that you wouldn't need, need people to buy new TVs. It's all in processing. It's all in bandwidth and processing. Yeah, heavy processing. And, and if, you know, DirecTV, Comcast, or whoever your digital provider, or even if it's Apple, right, if it's, even if it's Stream, if you have the bandwidth to take a 4K signal, but instead of, it'd be actually less than a 4K signal. Most people have, 1080p screens and 4K is four images of that. If you're talking about maybe three or four wide, so only triple the amount of data as a 1080p signal, but then in the software in Apple TV lets you pan left and right through a real life sporting event, that could be an attractive option. Yeah, it would be. Only for uh, a couple things though. Yes. Would it right. would that be worth panning right. for? Not ne- ne- definitely not scripted content. It would just be fun. I don't think it would be like how you'd want to watch it with your family. But it would be an interesting option. I like having the cameraman in control, the editing guys. Of course. Of let, course. let them do their thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, with all the bad press about the Olympics, are you guys going to watch? We watch the Olympics in my house. So, yes. Opening and, ceremonies are always a big thing. Uh, I remember the last one was amazing. Danny Boyle directed it, the London one, and they had Tim Berners Lee make or a fake Tim Berners Lee. So good. That was the London and the closing was also great because you had all the the you had all the British music come out Uh, in that too. That was one that had all the crazy, uh, crazy smelting. (laughs) Smelting. (laughs) Uh, But they also had like LEDs at like every seat throughout, so Mm -hmm. they could do like special visualizations throughout. The one in China was a little misleading, so uh, it was a huge opening ceremonies and. if Ang Lee directed it or something, uh, or some other like famous Chinese director, and while they had some effect, like they had giant foot, Buddha footprints in fireworks walking down, in fireworks made footprints walking down to the stadium, what they broadcast was like CG. Oh wow! To huh. oh, I didn't know on that. top of that, they had, that was the one with the projection mapping on the floor, right? Yes, yeah, with the waves. Yeah. people. That, that was, was a great South Park I'm episode always, where I'm going to remember. Freaks out about that. I'm going to just remember the drummer because that was the most spectacular. Because that was there was nothing CG about that. That was just <laughs> like um like a million drummers on the field, like Olympic caliber drummers, yeah. and they were amazing. Eight eight two thousand eight. You know, I, I like I like watching some of the Olympics. Uh, there's always interesting technology that comes out of it. They're always trying new things, but. Olympics are also like devastating. So, like, I don't know. If the, sure, there there is a real sports, which is a sports documentary, investigative journalism show on HBO, that had an hour on why no one should ever hold an Olympics because yeah. of the devastation it wreaks to the communities, both in the financial um, uh, and uh, economic impact to the to those areas. So, I think that's especially true for Brazil right now. I'm going to be watching. I, I watch the Olympics just like you do. We watch it in our house. But um, I am also going to be watching from a science side of things, which we'll get to later. All right. Oh, good. You did Anyway, this week, Windows, a bunch of things coming out the Microsoft side, as we've been leading up to. Uh, you have the release of Windows Anniversary Edition. 
excuse me, this is the uh, the big one year update to Windows 10. Uh, and alongside with that, Windows 10 is no longer free. You guys update all your computers? I did. I came in right under the wire, and then I forced the anniversary update last night. Wow. I haven't had a, ch- a chance to play with it very much, but my computer didn't break. Okay. Which is my first barrier. Uh, but I'm I'm excited about the uh, anniversary edition. Are you going to do it? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think I'm going to do the update. It's one of those things that when you know it's coming, then make sure to not leave your computer on overnight with things unsaved. Because the thing I hate the most is Windows will just do an update overnight and things will just shut down and won't, won't have saved my documents. Is there anything obvious after the update to tell you that it's been, happened? I mean, obviously, like it has a, usually a message that says something a little spooky, like all your files are exactly, exactly where you left exactly, them. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it says. Like the most reassuring thing, the thing you want to tell me isn't that like, let's check out these new features, but we didn't mess it up. Right. <laughs> Trust us, we didn't mess it up. I mean, it, it's supposed to, uh, for a wide majority of people, it's supposed to launch on the 9th of August. So okay. uh, it, it's going to be a little bit of time after this podcast releases for um, for it to... But you can force it if you want to. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, also, along with that, the Xbox One S. This is the uh, inner mid-cycle mid upgrade to the Xbox One uh, is now also released. It has HDR and 4K. Uh, 4K only for video. 4K only for video. No game support right. for 4K. And this is, of course, not Scorpio. So you got to wait for another year. It's That's 4K gaming. Actual 4K yeah. gaming and VR. Right. With. So, you know, I think it's a tough recommendation. I don't buy the Xbox One S if you plan on playing the next three years of Xbox games and, you know, spend that money. It's actually a terrible time this oh. year to, to adopt anything. That's a that's a year though. You're asking people to wait a year, maybe a year and a half. Okay, think about well the the thing that you're gonna take advantage of is like 4K and VR, which is itself you need to buy accessories yeah. and a TV to support. So either next year you buy Scorpio plus VR plus a 4K HDR HDR TV, or you spread that over a couple of years. And I, the shitty thing is that this holiday still doesn't feel like the right time to buy 4K TVs or HDR TVs. That still feels like next year's thing. We're getting really close because I've started to see like 60-inch 4K TVs fall like under $1,000, which is sort of my like economic price point where I think it's going to be viable. So, you know, I saw some reasonable TVs like for about $800 uh, in that 60-inch range at 4K. So when the economics start to work out, it's going to be easy to cycle your, your current TV to that. But when they're in that like thousand to two thousand dollar region it's much harder sell absolutely also who's gonna buy this is it people who have xbox ones or don't if you have an xbox one don't buy this there's no reason to upgrade spend more money now when you're probably gonna buy another new console next year uh if you don't have an xbox one don't buy the s get an old xbox one you get it for pennies now so many people are gonna be microsoft's like giving them away i'm not one of them but i do think that there are still people out there who want the highest quality um, media possible, and so they're they're going to probably throw out their Blu-ray collection and restart it with the new 4K format, and this could be their player. I mean, the, the consoles have always been the best, you know, hard media f- uh, player f- for DVD and Blu-ray so far. So and CDs for for the PlayStation even. But also the most power hungry. Well, fine, media but that's not that's devices. not something people care about. Yeah, I guess not. So you're saying if you're going to buy in a 4K Blu-ray. Right. So at that point, you already have a 4K TV yes. that you may be happy with. 
then this will be your 4K Blu-ray player. And then you can move that to another room when you have multiple 4K TVs if you're that type of household. Yeah, not me either. I'm, I've gone full streaming. I, I feel kind of bad about it, but same thing with MP3s. Like, I will suffer through the compression for the convenience factor. I'm, you know, the thing I'm waiting for is 4K TV with HDR. That's good. That's affordable. But also 4K projector. So I understand the 4K projector. Why the HDR? What, like, H- you still HDR, haven't told me on this. You, I, I think I would do some A-B testing. But what, from people who have seen a bunch of TVs, they say that HDR makes a bigger difference than 4K. Yeah, I've heard the same. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen them side by side. That's why I'm, maybe I'm still in that skeptical camp. And that, that doesn't surprise me. Because as you get, I think resolution bumps become... They less have, meaningful. Yeah, less meaningful. And they just the point of... Lo- uh, diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you just want more color gaps. I mean, even a show like Stranger Things, uh, there are a lot of low-light scenes in that. Is that in 4K, by the way? Do you know? Because a lot of the Netflix original stuff is. I don't know. Some of it. I, 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 couldn't, I wouldn't be able to okay. tell. Yeah. My, one of my housemates has a 4K TV in, in his part of the house, but I, I don't use it. Uh, okay. Uh, back to... Oh. So, on the video card news, uh, Titan X reviews are out. We don't have one super high end if you want to spend $1,200 on a video card you can check those out performance is as expected through the roof and you can SLI these cards together so if you want to spend $2,500 on just graphics uh, you can do that but for those people who bought GTX 970s uh, last year us included as we built uh, our first VR machine dedicated machine for the office if you're in the U.S., you can get a $30 rebate. So there was a class action lawsuit against NVIDIA and its OEM partners for being misleading about the amount of memory, about the amount of GDDR5 RAM in the GTX 970. Is that only the 970? Because only the 970. Oddly, I got an email a day or two ago from Newegg mm-hmm. about my 980 purchase from years ago. And about, does it have? Also, they also mentioned, we know there's been a class action and we'll oh, get in touch with you soon. Wow. Maybe, okay, let me double check. And I didn't know what it was about. So yeah, this- I, th- I think it was only, there was controversy when the reviews came out. Uh, they advertised 4 gigs of RAM, and it was actually 3.5 gigs of RAM with half uh, 500 megs uh, running a little slower. Mm. Um, so All right. they're doing a blanket, blanket uh, refund or a blanket um, uh, rebate. So $30 for each graphics card purchased cool in the u.s i haven't seen this on my 980 yet i better go yeah through my email i can't run the new nvidia demo that pisses me off the vr thing that's that's a titan x demo well i know or 1080 it runs on either 10 1070 or 1080 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and even like the 980 ti yes "Ah, i just have the 980 you have two 980s i well no i have one two computers okay you could sli them just for the day to run that demo all right i've done the demo it's okay it's most of its physics i like physics and, and but the gameplay isn't compelling enough that that it, like, it, I'm not going to go back to it. It's no no space pirate I get it. ninja. I it's get just it. to see that you know, you can shoot the holes in the walls. You can break that vase in a certain way, and it cracks and it falls realistically. Oh, the particle effects look really realistic, even more so. I'll try it here sometime. Okay, all right. All right. We actually can't run it here either. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, back on the Android side uh, with. Android updates coming out, the new next version of Android rolling out. There's also rumors of a new launcher now. Something that may not replace Google Now launcher, which is still my favorite launcher for Android. 
Yeah, and I saw some images on it. I think like Andrew Authority or somebody had some mm-hmm. um, release images. It's not a dramatic shift. It is a dramatic you shift. You think it's dramatic? Yeah. I, like so it's, it's definitely different. Launcher. So, I mean, it's removing the app drawer. which That's is That's a huge thing. So I actually don't think that's a big shift because I just don't use it that much anyways. Well, the app drawer, okay, to clarify, is the button you press that then lets... The primary difference, fundamental difference between Android's home screen and Apple's home screen is that Android treats its home screen like a desktop. And in the desktop, you have icons, shortcuts, plus widgets. And you can add spaces and go left and right. You can put in even windows and a lot of windowed uh, apps on top of your desktop in many cases. Uh, And then where your entire list of apps live then is in like almost like a start menu folder, the app drawer. On Apple's side, of course, there is no app drawer. Every icon just lives on desktop. You can't put widgets on. You can put them in folders. That's it. So Android is taking away a dedicated button to go to the app drawer. And instead, you swipe up from the bottom to see the app drawer. Big, like, clear pane of glass on the bottom that you swipe up. In addition to that, they're getting rid of, again, these are all, like, leaked screenshots, rumors. They may be getting rid of the dedicated search bar top of the screen yes they are uh, that one is the one that was most concerning to me i'm wondering how that's going to work because it seems like this whole launcher design is oriented on more of a task functionality versus a desktop functionality as you mm-hmm. alluded to before so it's going to be more like we saw rumors of what uh, google uh, now on tap redesign was going to look like a little while ago and it seems like removing that search bar is part of that that it's going to be more oriented on like, what do you want to do? Assistant, the Google yeah. Assistant, where yeah. Siri has the functionality on Apple's side to say, create appointments, set reminders. Here, it's going to be more explicit. You pull up a menu and it'll have the buttons, create reminders, set appointment, find restaurant, find directions. And then you press it and it'll be context aware to send you to wherever you want to go. We've already started to see this show up in a few of the apps. So Maps got a redesign recently, a few weeks ago. Um, and it's, it is a lot better for just my day-to-day functionality. So the, it, the search bar is going to be hard to let go of. But outside of that, I, I, I'm generally pretty excited about it. I suggest we proceed. Absolutely. Okay. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, YouTube now has thumbnail scrubbing. This is a feature I've requested forever. Uh, on Unstill Untitled, I think I believe I called it as the feature that porn sites had first before YouTube. Oh, so you can now choose your thumbnail from any frame? No, 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 no. Oh. Thumbnail scrubbing is a user experience. Thing. Oh, so you, like. So as you over. mouse over a thumbnail, you see, you get a preview of that, the YouTube video. Apple invented that. Did Apple invent that? Yeah. That's well, YouTube has not had it. No, that's And it's great. like the most useful feature. Of what? It's super useful. It's super useful. Because you yeah. get a preview, essentially like a preview without a click. It's great. Exactly. And. And if it's smart, like in Premiere, you know, when you're editing a video, Premiere thumbnails do the same thing. If you click, if you click in Premiere as you edit a video on a clip at that point, it'll launch at that point. Yeah. Now, YouTube, I believe, will probably still launch at the beginning. But I wish that was also an option that can scrub without having a ton of bandwidth. Again, the bandwidth comes beforehand as you scrub, as you scrub um, your your uh, the, the whatever dynamic Is- thumbnail. But when you click, I bet it still launches at the beginning. Is it going to be true on mobile or just desktop? I think just desktop. There's, I don't think that would make sense on mobile. Well, I think I've seen uh, scrubbing done where you can swipe on mobile mm. uh, to actually do the preview instead of actually doing a click. Yeah. All right. Um, now it's time. Oh, one more thing. One more bit of tech news. Uh, Bitcoin value plummeted 
this week. Should have you know, sold, Norm. It was at one point last week, and the past couple weeks, it was above $650, the price point which I bought my Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. And I was riding high on breaking even yeah. two years later, three I'm years later. hold on to that puppy. And I held on to it, and I could probably have used it for a bunch of other things, but uh, Bitcoin value now at around $500 because there was a hack in one of the major Bitcoin exchanges. So uh, in Hong Kong, I believe uh, BitPhoenix, it's the, it's the name of a, a, a PC case manufacturer, BitPhoenix. Anyway, it's also a Hong Kong-based Bitcoin exchange. They halted trading after detecting a security breach in which I believe over 60 or $70 million in Bitcoin was lost or stolen via social media which dropped Bitcoin prices in the U.S. to about $520. That's a straight-up crash in price. Dizam. All right. Another couple of years, and we'll be back. Yep. All right, uh, let's go thank our next sponsor, or thank our sponsor again, if we can. This is only a test. It's supported by City Cards with Android Pay. How cool is it that we live in a world where you can use the same device to listen to This Is Only a Test and buy your morning coffee, groceries, and more? And did I mention it's a super fast way to pay? Just use your city card with Android Pay at the register. Get in, get it, get going. Download the Android Pay app on Google Play or visit city.com slash Android Pay to get started. Android Pay is available for eligible city consumer credit and debit cards. it's time for a moment of science we lost another pioneer this week Seymour Peppert I might not be saying that right he was an MIT uh, faculty who was a founding member of the MIT Media Lab uh, pioneer in uh, in everything from artificial intelligence and construction theory and mathematics but he's most famous for bringing to the fore the idea of studying how childhood thinking develops as it applies to learning. And he wrote this really influential book called Mindstorms, which then turned into a partnership with Lego that produced that line. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, so like a lot of the work that Me Media Lab and MIT has done on childhood thinking really goes back to him because that's sort of a basis of studying children thinking is really a basis for understanding how we learn in our environments. Um, and uh, combine that with Marvin Minsky passing um, at the beginning of the year, which was a pioneer of artificial intelligence at MIT. It's sad. So um, if you haven't, check it out on MIT's site, the, um, uh, the retrospective of his work. He couldn't have been a more influential scientist out there. You usually post these links in the show notes on tested.com, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll post a link to the video they created. Uh, on to some, uh, we're going to do a little math here. So 23andMe, the personal genomics uh, testing company, uh, just released a landmark study. And this is one of those studies that I, was, I looked at and I was like, oh, I think this is going to be a really, really, really big deal. Yeah. So what they did is they have, they've sold about 1.2 million kits. Uh, of that, about half the people, around five, a little more than 500,000, have agreed to have their results publicly used in research of those about 120,000 of those people have indicated they've been diagnosed with depression wow that's a huge percentage that is a big number um and we'll get into some of the problems with this but that's a big number 
uh, they used that data combined with another set of data from something called the PGC project um, to do a study on all of the SNPs, these little polymorphisms in, in DNA, to see if there was a genomic variant in the, these people uh, that could be further warrant study. And they used the other 300-some thousand people that did not indicate any sort of depression as a control. This, that number, about 120, 130,000 people that were in this study, that's more than 10 times the largest uh, study ever done on depression mm -hmm. before. So the promise of big data, which has been 23andMe's whole you know, uh, business model in a lot of ways, is starting to come to bear. So now out of that, we found 15 what's called SNPs, these polymorphisms, these variants, um, that are going to warrant further study. And uh, it, like, people are like, whoa, signed, uh, I think is the reaction. This is the kind of thing where if you have a newborn and you want to take a DNA sample, you could look for these SNPs? Uh, it's not to that point um, yet because it, it's, um, I wouldn't say it's predictive. It, what it's really going to do is say to scientists, like, here are, you know, 15 areas that you should study in much more greater detail. So it gives us that sort of zoomed out perspective of, Here's where to study because there's so many base pairs in DNA. Like, how do you figure out what to study? Yeah. What sort of variants that you have? Um, this is allowing us to do focus. So we're not nearly to the point that you're suggesting. Um, well, beyond that would be the ability to uh, genetically engineer out depression. Yeah, if you start to go forward. But the genetic factors of depression aren't well quantified yet. So we don't even know if, like, what percentage, uh, you know, you would say that depression can go back to that. But yes, that would be the long-term um, uh, idea. This, I think this will be hugely influential down the line. Uh, we just have to talk about Zika uh, yep. because in the U.S., a, a small town north of Miami has now reported an additional, I believe, 10 cases. When so 15 total. 15 total. So essentially the CDC has warned about people traveling to this community. Pregnant women especially. Of course. Um, so it's about the closest thing I've seen to a quarantine in the U.S. in the, uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, what, they are going, what they're doing now is they're actively spraying the entire area with DEET, um, which really? is uh, to control this. The mosquito that is transmitting the Zika in this area is the Aedes aegypti um, uh, species, which is really hard to kill. Uh, and that's why they're using 25% DEET concentrations being sprayed just in the air and in and around that area. We're going to have to monitor this carefully. Um, they're it's, also giving out the, uh, the repellent to people in the streets. Yeah. And, and, but the, the good thing is that this mosquito only has, a, in its lifetime, a traveling distance of about 150 meters. Yeah, definitely. But we're seeing the real issue is humans um, actually carrying the vector and, and moving off with the Zika and then transmitting it further. How do humans transmit? Well, humans can transmit to other humans uh, other ways, but they could carry a mosquito with them mm. when they travel in some ways. So I, I don't think we're going to see this mosquito spread all the way, like just naturally from Florida up to Georgia in this sort of natural progression. But I think we are going to see pockets of it emerge elsewhere. Uh, I think that's probably, I mean, that's going to be the story of the next couple of weeks with the Olympics in Brazil. Of course. Lastly, weirdest story. I don't think you guys cover this. So uh, on Jupiter, there's the giant red spot, mm -hmm. which we all know of. And 
uh, we've known the temperature of the atmosphere from Jupiter a couple ways. And it's, it's pretty hot in the atmosphere given the density of the planet, even though it's really far away from the sun. It's about 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit in the atmosphere, normally excluding the auroras. But above the red spot, they found recent data suggests that the temperature is 700 degrees higher above the red spot, which is like, why would that be? It makes no sense. Uh, there's indications in a new study that came out in, in uh, Nature that it's because of the thunder, the acoustical noise that storm is generating is pushing the air in that region so fast that it's heating the atmosphere above it. But 700 degrees heating from that storm is an incredible amount. Think about, we're talking about heating air with, heating the arena with sound. Well, sound waves that sound waves. move the other elements, right? Yeah, but yeah. we're like embedded with sound right now. It doesn't do yeah. any, like that is how powerful that storm is to raise it 700 Acoustical degrees. Acoustical waves. Right. Heating the atmosphere of Jupiter. And on that note, haha, that's it for a moment of science this week. Do we have time for a VR minute? Let's Norman? do it. The VR minute, virtual reality this week. You know, speaking of the power of acoustical waves, Tilt Brush in VR just got a new update that gives you the power of acoustical waves. <laughs> You have an audio reactor mode in Tilt Brush. So you can update the app, and you can paint and then play music, uh -huh. and lines of paint react to the music, vibrate and pulse. It's oh. a it's a rave party now. That's right. It's a visualizer. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a VR art visualizer. Yeah, it's a Winamp plugin. That's that's right. <laughs> Glimmers and animation. It does kick the llama's ass. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't work. <laughs> There's no dedicated player in the app. You basically all tap out, play music, and then have it play through Windows, default playback. Yeah. And then the, the thing, the, huh. uh, the drawing reacts. Whatever. It's a good, neat little feature. Um, is there, so I, can I, I don't use Tilt Brush that much. There is a way to download other people's artwork, but can I see it replay their drawing? Can I see them create it in front of me? I don't know if they have that outside of the gallery. Okay. The replay may only be the, the gallery. Um, the developer gallery. Okay. That they add. They've been constantly adding. Uh, PlayStation VR, of course, still coming out October. Um, How do I buy one? Yeah, you can't. You the pre-orders are all. I all know. Done. I gotta get. Well, I gotta like be there at midnight, right? You, I have to get in line. Yes. All right. Like this is gonna be a, a big VR launch. I, I'm surprised you haven't pre-ordered yet. It was oh. too quick. Can we do a duo cast where we do a premium video with me and Jeremy standing in line? I'll be out there. It doesn't need to be a duo cast. It'll be a, it can be all three of us. Plus, I'll wait in line for you. All guys. I need are the is the the headset. I already have the you ones. Have the ones. I have you the don't camera. Need the no, you just need the headset. That's the problem. That's why I didn't pre-order. Nah, but it. I think that's what everyone needs. No one's yeah, like, I'm standing no. in line for the wands. <laughs> well, no, I mean a lot of people don't have the wands. So. Yeah, it's true. And the ones are relatively cheap. And, yeah. and they still haven't announced Neo. So maybe if there'll be, I don't have a PS4. If, if, the, if they do eventually announce a PS Neo and they oh, do right. a VR bundle, that might be the one to hold out and buy anyway. Okay. Uh, so crossing fingers. There's only a few months till October. Um, I guess holiday season is still a little beyond that. Um, there is a leaked image on Im Imager, um, and Polygon found it, that uh, it could be the manual for PSVR, promotional pamphlet. And it says that the play area, based on the viewing, uh, the the viewing angle and the viewing space of the PSI camera, is approximately 
two meters by three meters, about ten feet by six feet. That's pretty decent. That's that's pretty decent. Yeah, just with a single front facing camera, right? Just with one. I mean, the camera has it's has yeah. stereo and, and IR, but uh, just with that one camera. So uh, I think the you know, again, once it comes out, we'll be doing a lot of um, a lot of uh, a lot of testing on on the tracking fidelity of that camera. Um, they're looking at the image, the pamphlet image. Yeah, it looks suspiciously like um, one of the Valve, one of the Valve ones. Yeah, illustrations. I thought, I thought those too. Um, and then uh, Oculus Connect signups have started. So if you plan on going to Oculus Connect, you should um, you should look into signing up. Like I think Jason he, Rubin he, says very exciting games lineup. I think he's looking at you, Jeremy. I'll yeah. sign up. Yeah. Uh, Jason Rubin said the next six months are going to blow away the previous six months. I, I'm I'm not surprised he said that, given I'm, that they want to sell a lot of Oculus Touches. That's right. And I think they said, obviously, that because Oculus Touch is on the horizon and those games are going to be more compelling, just as any motion control can can be. I just wanted to add, because you tried a couple different VR experiences at Comic-Con. I think the videos are already up. Like, uh, yes. Where you saw the Touch yep. demo. and yep. Did you do Rick and Morty? There? I did do Rick and Morty. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I did was Batman in PSVR. Oh, you did the Batman demo. So I did it twice, actually. So the first time I did it, I had a hor- kind of a horrible experience. Oh. Like. I, I had a little bit of motion sickness and the tracking was poor. Mm. And I and so I kind of like, you know, indicated to you just as we're walking by, I'm like, Meh. and then I went back and tried again because I was like, uh, that just seems so far off yeah. of what I expected. And I tried again. It was wicked fun. So okay. it was totally on the second time around. There was something wrong with the tracking All the right. first time out that made my experience mm. terrible. And it was a, it was a short demo. You go down in the back cave and you ride got, the tube down. You see yourself in the mirror. You are Batman. You Throw a batarang. Yeah, I threw some batarangs around, and I was I was really surprised at how much fun and how good the tracking fidelity was, um, because that was an unideal room to be doing VR. Yeah, in, like in the middle of the DC booth. Right, right. Um, and I think that's all the time. Not a ton of news in the VR uh, space this week, and we are running low on time. Can I add one thing? You may absolutely. I need add a minute because I really meant to talk about this earlier. Yes, please. Let me start with this. So when I was in Pittsburgh, I got, a, I got an Uber, and apparently Uber has a major base there. And the Uber driver informed me that they have self-driving cars in Pittsburgh. What? Uber. Uber has like a fleet of self-driving automobiles. And this is not something with actual drivers in them as well. Dummies. Crash test dummies behind the wheel. No. he's. I'm not what? kidding did you, you. Did you ride one? Freaking Google it. I saw it. I thought this guy was an office rocker. I Googled it. It's true. They have like these cruises driving around town with these sensor arrays on their rooftop. And this is where they're doing self-driving testing. In Pittsburgh. Yes. Well, I understand because they hired away a lot of Carnegie Mellon roboticists uh, to do some of their automated automated stuff. So that makes sense. Now, dude was telling me they don't even use GPS because they have such a fine map of the entire area that they're more accurate than any satellite can provide them. That they can look and they know every nook and cranny of the streets, of the sidewalks. But there must be optical tracking stuff. No, there is. Totally optical. It's optical, it's radar, sonar, all that stuff. But that they rely on their own mapped system and that it is so well defined that they're driving around the freaking city right now. You know, the one thing that I was thinking about, we're relying so much on these computer vision systems to to do optical and object recognition, right? Recognize Mm -hmm. objects in the street, which is useful, but you also have to create maps based on that. And... We could help our the thing that's solved a problem that's solved with computer vision is traditional marker tracking. It's solved with AR. It's how VR kind of kickstarted yeah. on the consumer space. So the city should just layer the 
everything. Everything with I, that? Like I think I can totally imagine a test future or oh, a test city where so you have sci-fi. where you have designed hidden fiducial markers in clothing, <laughs> in architecture. Yeah. And that would bootstrap computer vision. They and, should totally and, build a test city somewhere. Yeah. That would be amazing. Because the computers map it's to, to see the markers and have high contrast markers. Yeah. They can lock and untriangulate that so easily. Drone, drill, drone delivery systems could use the same Perfect, thing. Perfect, right? And at that point, you're teaching, you're going down a path of teaching the robots to only recognize the fiducial markers. And so if you want to hide from the robots, all you got to do is take off the fiducial markers. Oh, now you're thinking in terms of sci-fi for real. Right? I love it. Right? I'm if, thinking if, about the business model of this. If we built a test city, we could just go to all of these companies and be like, do you want to you know, pay to use our fake city? And it's a design problem to design the fake city using, and to design a fiducial marker system mm-hmm. that would work and be seamless yeah. visually within the architecture and design of the world. You know, so fast. Stop signs don't need to actually have English letters on them if they're not the ones reading them. That's right. That's right. Why not? Yep. Yeah. And okay. everyone recognizes the shape. That's right. Yeah. The hybrid. Fire hydrants. There, there are things that are just built into the design of cities that could be that could perfectly be marked with these markers. I would think it would be the the paint lane markers. I mean, I mean, like that's, that's, that's that is that's how the the Model S right now recognizes uh, lanes. It, knows it sees the lines so that that is in one sense a marker system but give them more markers oh wow joey just closed the door and it sounds so much better oh wow we could have closed the door. <laughs> anyway uh we got to run so um thank you jeremy kishore for joining us this week on this is only a test and thank you guys out there for listening we'll be back i think next week i hope next week for uh an episode um been quite busy around here. What's coming up on Tesla this week, real quick? Uh, on Tesla, we just put out uh, yesterday the Adam's one day build of his bear costume, the head of his bear costume, including that test walk he did around San Francisco. Uh, our Comic Con stuff is basically all wrapped up. We've done so many videos, so really would appreciate it if you guys checked all that those out. I'm sure you guys saw Frank's creepy fig and the build videos that went along with that. Uh, next week, we have a new Frank project that we are unveiling that I hope you guys will like as well. That's probably the big thing next week. All right. And I think that's it. Do we have an outro? Oh. You know, I forgot that I'm in charge of that. <laughs> Man. I don't have that link. I need that link sign. I'll get you next. I'll do, we'll do two next week or the week after. Two next week. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you're sending the good outros. Yeah. Keep no, them, no keep them coming. Thanks. We'll see, see you guys, guys next week. Bye-bye.